You're listening to the Bright City Podcast. To hear more about our gatherings, groups, and what's going on in the life of our church, visit brightcity.church or follow Bright City Church on Instagram. Today's message is from Pastor Nick. Good morning. Happy week after Easter. Everybody doing okay? Good, good, good. Uh, This morning at the 8 a.m. prayer, we were just like rehearsing and recounting all that God uh, did last week. We were talking about all the fruit that we just felt like God did, and it was just such an amazing morning of prayer because it was like, man, Easter might be over in the calendar, but what we feel like is the first fruits of what God is doing. And last week at, at Easter, we talked about how when they approached the tomb and when they came there that morning, they were prepared for a funeral. And it didn't matter that Jesus had done everything he could to prepare them for a resurrection, but but, but God wanted to take their hearts and their minds, and he wanted them to go from a funeral mindset to a resurrection mindset. And so it's so amazing that the resurrection was this cosmic change for all of eternity. Like it changed everything spiritually. Like the dead became alive and that people who were fearful became full of courage. People who didn't know what they were doing with their life all of a sudden found purpose in and through who Jesus was and the mission that he had for their lives. And so it changed all this stuff in our lives uh, spiritually. But when we still had to go to work on Monday and we still had to do this week, uh, the resurrection might have changed a lot, but maybe you just felt like, well, it certainly did not change this because I went to, to work on Monday and they were still there. And like, I thought that when the tomb was empty, my life was going to be empty of this person. Like I just, God, if you can, if you can change the heavenlies, then surely you could do this. And so my job kind of felt the same. You know, and then there was the relationship that I, that I deeply want. And it's like, all right, God, the tomb is empty, so may my dating life be full in the name of Jesus. Okay, all right, let's try that again. The tomb is empty, so Lord, can I just get some, some messages from some people? And so the relationships stay the same. Maybe the hurt and the heartache and the suffering kind of felt the same. You're like, man, I, I know the, that the tomb is empty, but my, my heart kind of feels empty still. Like, I, I still feel like I'm struggling and going through a lot. And so the burdens kind of stayed the same. Maybe it was the feeling of loneliness. And so it's just this idea that, that heaven shifted, like heaven shifted, like God tore the veil and what happened when he tore that curtain is that my access to the father was fully flung wide open and so I can approach the throne room of grace and I have this amazing relationship with my father in heaven because of the powerful work of Jesus Christ and heaven shifted but but I felt like the earth in my life stayed the same and so when we hear about this new power, the resurrection, it, for at least for me, it makes me doubt because I'm like, man, I, I hear about this new power, but my life and my experiences still seem to stay the same. Like, have you ever felt that? You're like, man, there's this new power that God talks about. I mean, I'm, I remember when I first became a believer. It was like, you know, they talk about how you have faith in Jesus, and they talk about how you say yes to Jesus, and they talk about how your life 
will never be the same because of that. And then they talk about this new heavenly power that you get that comes in and through the resurrection. And so God's power is unleashed in my life. And I, and I just remember I was like on a missions trip and I went home and like I got off the mountain and I was like, how do I get back up to the mountain? And it just so happened that I became a believer in Pittsburgh. And so I was like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm in ninth grade, but eighth grade, but do I need to walk back to Pittsburgh? Because if that's the mountain, that's where I wanna be because that's where God was. And now I'm in life and everything's the same and nothing has changed at all. And what I find is the longer that I walk with Jesus, and I don't know if this is true for you, the longer that I walk with Jesus, I find that I want him to change everything around me, right? Like I want God to use his power to change everything around me. But one of the most amazing things about the power of the Holy Spirit and how God works is that he is going to do everything he can to change everything in us so that we can approach the experiences and the life that we're having in a new power. And so God's going to do this thing where he's going to produce in us a new right spirit to approach the same things in our life. And you're like, oh, that's not what I signed up for. Like, I, I, I wanted new, like new life, new car, new job, new boyfriend, I, if I'm being honest, new husband. Like, I, I wanted the new. I wanted the, I'm just kidding. I think I heard of, I'm not over here. No, I'm just kidding. So Jesus gives us this new power, but what happens is, is Jesus gives us a new power so that he can unleash us in the same context, but he wants to do it in a new way. And so how can we get behind this new power that God wants to do in our lives? I mean, when I think about the power of God, I mean, it sounds fun. I mean, when I think about the power of God, like when I read about what they did in Acts, when I think about being powerful, like full of power, like I'm like, all right, God, what, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do this? Like, who do you want to unleash me into their life? Like, how, how do you want me to, like, I'm around, I'm on the town, let's do this thing. Like, what are you going to do, God? Like, I feel like I'm, I'm going to be given this new capacity. I think a lot of times, and I feel like this is why the church struggles, is I think a lot of times we think we're going to get this new power, therefore we're going to have new influence, a new platform. And so we go straight there, like, all right, God, where's that, where's that Instagram following? Is it, is it changing yet? Or I just, I, like, what does this mean, this new, this new power? And I think we always start with what we want to do and accomplish. And I feel like this is kind of like the disciples. Like I always find myself in the disciples. I don't care where God's taking me. I always feel like I go back and find myself in the disciples. And so when Jesus kind of gives them this first foretaste of the power of God, like you read this in the middle of the Gospels, and I love Luke's account of this, is that Jesus is unleashing his disciples, and he's giving them this power and this authority, and he's like, hey, you are going to go into the world, and you are going to make things change. Like you are going to see some things that you've never seen before. Like you thought a good day at work was when you caught a lot of fish, but there is going to be something that is going to happen in you and through you that is going to give you a power and authority like you've never seen before. And so they go out and they do all this work and they have all this power. And when they come back, like they're like, Jesus, you would never believe what we did. Like you would never believe what we saw. 
Like I went from thinking I was going to be taking over the family business and this was the rest of my life, but I saw people go from death to life. I saw people be healed that were very sick. Like I saw all these things happen in me and through me. God, where can I get some more of this? Like, God, when can we do this again? Like, it's like the ride that you ride at the amusement park. It's like, all right, can we go again? It's like, no, you got to wait in the line. No, 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 no. I don't want to wait in the line. I want to do it right now, and I want to do it again. And what I love is that Jesus changes the context, and Jesus brings it back. Like, the disciples are like, hey, did you see what we did? And Jesus is like, hey, I need you to not forget who you are. And so Jesus is like, hey, do you know that the biggest thing that you need to rejoice in right now is not based off of what you did out there, but what's happening in you and who you are and how your name is written in heaven. And so he's bringing it back from what they did to who they are. And I think all the time when I think about the Holy Spirit is I'm always focusing on what I can do and what I can accomplish in the power of the Holy Spirit, even if it is the kingdom, like even if it is the work of God. I think that's why sometimes when we feel like God's doing a new work in us, we have to do a new thing for him, right? Like, oh, man, God's just doing so much, so I, I want to I do something for him. I just, God's doing so much, so I want to, to offer my life and do something that could make him proud of me. And so we, we turn it to what we can do rather than who we are. And what I find is that when you read the scriptures and when you read the Bible, is whether, when there is a work of the power of the Holy Spirit, is I think all the time we're wanting to jump into what we can do and the scriptures over and over and over again are always reminding us who we are and that we are a powerful people. And so we have to realize that God is more concerned about who we are rather than what we do and that God is wanting to seal that work in us so that we can be a secure people. But here's the hard part about that is that you and I are a part of a world that is a wash cycle of erasing who you are and trying to get you to focus on what you can do. I mean, it just is. It is like you are walking through the gauntlet and everyone has like styrofoam things that they want to hit you with and they just want to hit you and hit you and hit you until you forget who you are and you're focused on what you can do or not do. And so when it comes to this world, they want us to focus on morally or professionally what we do. Like that's tied to who we are. Like it's why we, when we meet people, it's like, hey, hey, what do you do? I, it probably would be weird to say, who are you? <laughs> it's like, hey, I'm Nick. Who are you? He'd be like, okay, I, I don't know who I am, but I'm not here. I'm leaving. And so we're defined by what we do. We're defined by our past. And here's the hard part about that is we're either defined by our mistakes or our merits, right? Like I, I want to be defined by either what I've done that's well or I don't want to be defined by what I've done that's wrong. But a lot of times we get weighed by, down by what we did wrong in our past, Right? We become defined by our struggles. And what's interesting is that even when we get victory in Christ Jesus, there is this weird thing that in us that always wants to be referred by, always wants to be known and referred by what we struggled with rather than what God did in our life. And so we're going to play the victim card rather than the victor card. And then here's the hard part. And this is, the, this is what the enemy does is when you get victory, 
He wants you to be defined by that victory too, but not in what God did, but what you did in that victory. And so he starts to play with our hearts and our minds, and so we, we struggle with our struggles, and then we become defined by what we produce. And here's the hard part about that, is the enemy is so crafty because he wants us to be defined by either how effective we are or how ineffective we are. Like, if you ever got to the end of the week and you're like, I crushed it, and then you feel good and better about yourself, and then you get to the end of the week and you were like, it crushed me. And then you become defined by that. Like, your countenance is set for the rest of the weekend because of either how effective you were or how ineffective you were. Here's another one is our life experiences and travel. Like, for whatever reason right now, as people want to be known as people who are going somewhere and never staying anywhere. And so we become defined by what we experience rather than what we've experienced in Christ Jesus. And so it's like, man, I've just, I've got to be the person always going and never missing out and always being in the moment and always being in experience and always seeing this and seeing that. And our life becomes defined by that and, of course, influence our platform. And this is the crazy thing about that is it's either like you are defining your life by how much of an influence you have or how little of an influence you have. Here's another hard one. We want to be defined by someone else through comparison. And so we become, our identity becomes either being better than that person or not being as good as that person. And it's like, man, that, that's a tough one because I just want to be able to celebrate people. But then I find myself celebrating me when my life is not like theirs because it's a wreck. And we become our, our standing in our life and our identity becomes defined by that. It's like, oh man, my life's not like theirs. Thank God. Or please God, let my life be like theirs. And the enemy does that. And so the powerful work of the Spirit is not for us to want to be defined by all that, but the powerful work of the Spirit, when the Spirit of God is working mighty in you, when God's Spirit is starting to renew your heart, renew your mind, renew your soul, it becomes more about who you are than what you do or don't do. It becomes more about who you are than anything in this world. And so when we see this powerful identity, one of the first places we see this is in Jesus' baptism, right? So Jesus is coming from Galilee. He comes to the Jordan and he's being baptized by John. And John tries to like sidestep and he's like, hey, no, I can't baptize you. You are the son of God. I'm not the chosen one. You're the dude. I'm not the dude. And Jesus is like, hey, I've got to do this for the fulfillment of scripture. And then there's going to be a greater baptism that's coming where people will actually identify and be baptized in the baptism that I baptize people with, and then there's going to be a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus comes and he's baptized, and when he comes out of the water, the scripture says, at that moment, heaven was opened. So the fireworks are starting, heaven was opened, and then he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And then here comes the crazy part, is a voice comes from heaven and says, this is my son whom I love. And here's the crazy thing about the father is he doesn't stop there. Like, he, like it's one thing, like in our marriage we say, I, I love you. And then like every once in a while we have to throw I like you in there because it, you can love people and not like them. Like I think that's kind of how we function right now as a, as a country. It's like 
I, I guess I love my neighbor, but I do not like my neighbor. And so we have to say, like, hey, I, I love you and I like you. And so what follows here is this is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. It's just amazing that that's the voice from heaven. And so when you see the spirit of God, what I love about this is this not God showing this idea of what can be produced through Jesus in this moment. It becomes about what God can pronounce over Jesus in this moment. And so he starts with a pronouncement. And I think that's what he wants to do in our life is he wants to start with a pronouncement. And so when you see this, you see this baptism. I mean, number one, I just love how Jesus is so submissive in his baptism. Like He's like, hey, I'm here to fulfill, and I'm going to do a lot of great things, but I am in step with what God's doing. And so before we even move any further, like, you know, we're about to do baptisms today. Like, have you been baptized? Like, the Bible is so clear to say over and over again that we are never, the servant is never above their master, and Jesus is our master. And I think a lot of times we think that we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to do this life and we're going to be different than Jesus. And it's like, well, I don't know that that's what God had in mind. I think he wanted us to be like Jesus. Remember, like WWJD, like we wear the bracelets, like what would Jesus do? Jesus got baptized. So we need, we, we need to identify with Jesus and be baptized. We need to celebrate his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so Jesus comes under the goodness of the Father and does that. And then all of a sudden, God pronounces from heaven this amazing pronouncement over his life. And so for you and I, if we're going to become full and powerful people in this world, if we're going to do the things that God's called us to do, if we're going to be the person that God's called us to be, if we're going to advance the kingdom like God's called us to advance the kingdom, if we're going to walk in the resurrection power, if things are going to stay the same around us, what's going to be different in us? If we're going to do all these things, if we're going to walk with God in a powerful way in the power of his Holy Spirit, we have to know that it doesn't start with what we do. It starts with who we are. And we need to know that God is affirming over and over and over again our identity. Like he wants us to be so sick of hearing who we are in his eyes that we cannot even help worry about what we do or don't do. Like that's who the father is. And so how does God remind us of who we are? Like how does God seal that identity in our hearts in a very powerful way? One of the first things he does is he reminds us of our adoption. He reminds us of our adoption. One of the things I find about my own life is that is it impossible to be at peace when I don't know my place? Like it is impossible to be at peace in my soul if I don't know my place. And so whenever I go to a restaurant, they're always like, hey, do you want to sit at the bar and just wait for your table and have a drink? And here's the bar. It's like you can, you can like squeeze in here and like you can't really sit down, but you can kind of like stand behind people. And maybe you might get the bartender's attention. Like maybe it might happen. Maybe you might get that drink. If not, you're just going to be breathing on someone's neck in the midst of a post-pandemic life. Like, that's, that, like that tension kills my soul. And I don't want to do anything. I don't want to talk about anything. I don't want to hear about anything until I know my place in this restaurant. 
Like, I need to know my table. I need to know where I'm sitting. I need to know if my chair is going to have a back. I need to know if my chair is going to have some cushion. I'm sorry I'm getting a little older in life, getting a little advanced in the years. Like, I need to know where I'm going to be in this place before I can have a peace in my heart in this place. And when, I, when it comes to our life in Christ, I see the same thing, is I think people don't have a peace because they don't know their place. I think that people don't have a peace because, number one, they don't know their place with God and they don't know their place in his family. And I think sometimes, I, like I believe that the church has done a lot of hurt, but I think sometimes people reject the church before they're hurt because they don't know their place in the kingdom of God and in the family of God. And so they're at a place where they're like, hey, I need to reject them before they reject me. Like I need to say, no, it's not going to work out before they say it's not gonna work out to me. Like I, I need to be able to one, I need to be the one that says, it's not you, it's me, even though it is you. Like I need to be the first one to say that in this relationship, because if I'm not, I'm not gonna be at peace. And one of the things that God does in his word is over and over and over again, he is reminding us of our standing. He is reminding us of our adoption. He is reminding of us of our place in his kingdom. He is reminding us over and over again our place in his family. And one of the places I love this is in Paul's letter to Romans. He says this in Romans 8. He says, for those who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. And so he doesn't say like, hey, I need you to know that those who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, they have their prayer language. Like those who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, they do five miracles a week and they tell one person about Jesus. Like those who are fully empowered by the Holy Spirit, they like work at a church and, and give God their life in ministry. Those who are empowered by the Holy Spirit choose not to honk at people in traffic. Those who are empowered by the Holy Spirit uh, choose not to get mad at their coworkers or mad at their people at their job. Those who are empowered by the Holy Spirit do all these wonderful things and don't do the other wonderful things. Immediately in this moment, the Spirit of God through his word says, those who are led by the Spirit know that they are children of God. And so the first place that you see the Spirit at work in your life is that you know that you're a part of the family that you know you have a place at the table, that you know that you are in the kingdom of God, serving the king in his power, and you are reminded that you are a child of God. He says, the spirit you receive does not make you a slave, right? That's what the enemy wants to do. Like he wants to take you back to his old, your old life. He wants to make you think that you are in bondage to your sin. He wants you to make you think that freedom is fleeting and you'll never achieve it. He says, no, the spirit you receive does not make you a slave that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption. That's what he says. He says the spirit is the one pointing to and reminding you over and over and over again that you are adopted by God. And I, th I think sometimes, if I'm just being honest, even in my own heart, is I don't think we allow the full weight of that to hit us. I think church has become such a norm in the South that we don't allow the adoption of who we are in Christ Jesus because of the work of the cross to hit us like it should. I don't, I don't think 
that we allow ourselves to really ponder what it means to be a child of God. And it's like, oh, yeah, 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 we, we left that stuff in, in Bright Kids. Like, that's what we talk about, Bright Kids. Like, that's, that's, yeah, that's what I, like, tell them with the felt board. And we, like, put the little felt pieces up. And, like, you start with Noah's Ark, and God saves the animals, and the children love it. Like, this, like, no, like, we never graduate from knowing who we are in Christ Jesus through our adoption and being a part of that family. One of the things that I felt like God was doing in my heart recently as I was trying to get a vision for the next 40, like I'm, I'm almost at the top of the hill. So I was like, all right, Lord, I, I need vision because I'm gonna start forgetting things and, and tired and all the, all the things. Like I, I need a vision for the future. And one of the things I felt like had happened in my life is I felt like because of how I was raised and the things that happened in my childhood, I wasn't allowed to be a child. And so what I felt like God was saying is, hey, for the next 40, I want you to learn how to be a child again. I, this, that's Benjamin Button, right? Like, does he, get, like, I got the, like, Benjamin Button vision, apparently. And, and I feel like one of the things that God wants to do in our heart is he wants, to ne- he wants us to never forget that we are children first. Like, that we are children of God. That m- maturation actually looks like us getting younger in spirit. Like, maturation actually looks, looks like us looking more like children rather than some, like, wise, like, Mr. Miyagi, like, bent over. You know, like, I don't know what it is or what your vision of maturation is, but God wants us to remind us over and over again that we have an adoption in his kingdom, and we are sons and daughters. Like, we have a standing. We have a place. Like, you don't ever forget that. And I think what happens is, is because of our earthly families, we allow it to skew our heavenly family. We allow that to skew what that means. You're like, hey, I've been a child before. I didn't like that. Like, I've been a part of a family before, and I did not like that. I still don't like that. And thank God we've got a long time until Thanksgiving, so I don't have to not like that for a long time. So Paul continues, and he says, by him, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. And he says, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ Jesus. I had to really kind of look up what heir meant. Like, I, I'm, you know, nobody left me anything. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure out what an heir, an heiress meant. And it means that you are getting the inheritance that God has for your life spiritually. And so then he continues and he says, hey, not only are you an heir in this kingdom, you are a co-heir with Christ. And so what happened and was pronounced over Jesus is going to be pronounced over your life because when God looks at you, he sees Christ in you. And when you have Christ in you, when God sees you, he sees you as a child. And it's not something that you can earn. It's not something that you can do. It is something that he did in and through the cross of Jesus. And by the power of the cross and by the fruit of the cross, you and I have adoption in the family of God. And so we don't need to lose our peace anymore in this world because the peace is is that we're a child of God. We don't need to know where we fit in in this world or in this church or at our job or in our friend community or whatever it is because we have a standing in the throne room of grace. And so when the Spirit starts to work in your life, 
It is reminding you over and over and over again that you are a child of God. And you're like, hey, when's the fireworks start? When, when, when does the cool stuff happen? Be healed. And God's like, whoa, 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 slugger. Whoa. Hey, it's, it's not about what you do. It's, it's about who you are. And who you are is a child of God. And so when you, people, when you see people struggle with integrity and character and later in life, it's because they were more, more worried about what they could do rather than who they are. Because when you, when you have in you, when the Spirit seals in you who you are, that can never be taken from you. I mean, how amazing is that? And so we don't wobble. Our standing is secure because we are a child of God. And not only does the Spirit remind us that we are a child of God, the Spirit reminds us of the affections that God has for us. I mean, how amazing is that? Is that we don't just get adoption, we get affections. Like, how amazing is that? Like, when I think about sometimes the things in my life and what God puts up with, I'm like, oh, that's obligation. Like, God, you're obligated to love me because that one time you said God is love. And God's reminding us over and over again, hey, I'm not obligated to do anything. I love you because I have affections for you. And if you don't believe me that I have affections for you, you look at that cross and you look at my son and you see that I sent my son for you. This is what Paul says, Ephesians, which, I, which is so crazy. I'm about to read this context, this verse, and, and I, I, I grew up in churches that recited this at the end of their service. Now to him who is able to do more than you can ask or imagine in and through you by the power of the Holy Spirit for his glory. And so we get out of there and we're like, all right, I'm about to run through a brick wall for Jesus. This is going to be great. This is awesome. God, what do you want to do this week? Before that, this is what Paul says. Hey, before, before that, before that, for this reason, I kneel before the Father and I pray that out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being. Where's the spirit work? Around you or in you? In you. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And here he goes. He says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power by the Holy Spirit together with all the Lord's holy people to to do a bunch of things, to run through a wall, to figure out all the ways you're going to serve God, to figure out all the the people you're going to heal and witness to. And he said, no, 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 no. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is for you. So when you get to that now to him who is able to do a measure more than we can ask or imagine, like that, that's not rooted in what you can do. That's rooted in who he loves and who he loves is you. So when it comes to your life, are you living in this place with your heavenly father that you think his love is obligatory to you because you're a screw up or because you're a son or a daughter? I mean, we've all got to answer that question, right? And to help answer that question, one of the beautiful things about God is he gives us pictures, right? He gives us pictures. And so when you get to Luke 15 and you see this lost child come home, Like one of the things that God shows us in that moment through Jesus when he's telling the story, 
he's like, hey, I, I need you to know that, that my son's coming home. And yeah, his standing is going to be like his standing is going to be reestablished. Like his place in this family, it's going to be sealed. And it never faltered. I was always looking to the horizon. I was always waiting for my son to come home. The standing is good. But I don't, I don't want you to look at the adoption piece right here. I don't want you to look at the standing right here. I want you to look at the affections that the father had for the son. Like when he comes running over the hill, he doesn't say, I told you so. He says, I told you I loved you, right? And, and this is the picture that God wants us to have. Like he wants us to know that, hey, before you would do a lot in the power of the Holy Spirit, I need you to know that you are loved a lot. Before you do anything, before you say anything, I mean, this is what faith in Christ is, is that God loved us before we first loved him, right? Like we were enemies of God. Like we, God was ourself. Like we wanted to do everything we wanted to do and live life how we wanted to live. And God shows up and he doesn't transform us with an I told you so attitude. He doesn't transform us with obligation. He doesn't transform us with this way of him saying, hey, how you're going is wrong and you need to turn around. He transforms us with his love. And so if you are going to live the powerful life that God has for you, before you do anything in the kingdom of God, you need to realize where you stand in the kingdom of God. You need to know that you are adopted. You need to know that you are a son and that you are a daughter. You need to know that you're not a slave to your past life. You need to know that you're not defined by your past life. You need to know that you are not defined by the good things of your past life. He doesn't care. And care. He still loves you. And then you need to know that you have the heavenly Father's affection. And so what the Spirit does is it reminds us over and over again of that, right? Like when we walk into this world and when we walk through culture and when we walk through our days, like the Spirit is going to allow those things to not stick to us. Like when you go to work tomorrow and things that your coworkers or your boss might say, like it's going to flow off of you like you are covered in Vaseline because you have the power of the Holy Spirit. And things don't stick to you because Christ's love sticks to you. Things don't stick to you because you're not defined by that. You're defined by the sonship and the daughtership you have with the heavenly father in heaven. Like when you're trying to figure out how you can earn someone's love, like you're just reminded like, man, God loves me exactly the way that I am. And the beautiful thing about his love is he's not going to keep me there. He's going to take me somewhere. But right now in this moment, he loves me wholly and perfectly. I mean, how amazing is that? I find one of the interesting things about this moment of baptism is that Jesus has this pronouncement over his life. And the next thing, he's going into the wilderness. He's going through the gauntlet. Like the enemy's going to come. And what does the enemy do? The enemy is like, are you really the son of God? Like over and over and over again. So I need you to know when you leave this place, that question is going to come. Are you a daughter? Are you a son? Jesus doesn't prove himself, Right? He doesn't produce anything to prove that. He knows exactly where he stands. The world and the enemy is going to come and, and is going to try to convince you that you are not loved by God. And you need to know that your love 
was stamped not by tomorrow, but by what happened 2,000 years ago. When he said it was finished, that means that his love for you, the full affection, it does not waver. It is finished. And so when it comes to being a powerful person, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, it is not about what you do. It is about who you are. And the Spirit is testifying over and over and over again that you are my daughter. You are my son. I love you. Well, God, you don't realize that like two, two years ago I did this. No, I, I do, and I love you. Like, how beautiful is that? And here's the crazy thing about God is he doesn't sweep it under the carpet and ignore it. He looks right at the worst days that you have, and he says, hey, I need you to know nothing's changed. I still love you. I'm still here. I'm still in you. I'm still for you. I'm going to do some crazy things through you. But right now, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about who you are and that you are a son and a daughter and that you are loved by the God of heaven. Amen. Father, I just thank you for this moment. I thank you that we get to sit and be reminded of who we are. And we never graduate from that. We never graduate. We never graduate from that. Father, would you just seal it in? God, we, we have to walk out of these doors and, and your love and your standing and security, it goes with us. But God, would you just do the work of sealing it in in this moment? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening in to Bright City. If this was encouraging, we'd love for you to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're an owner at Bright City, you can give online at brightcity.church or on Venmo to Bright City. Before you go, we'd love to speak this benediction from Matthew 5 over you. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We love you, Bright City.